the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today it's my great pleasure to travel to Mount Etna in Sicily to meet Jacopo Maniacci, the CEO of Tenuta di Fessina. Welcome, Jacopo. Thank you so much for being my guest today. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. It's a pleasure to being hosted by you to the Italian Wine Podcast. So very happy, very glad. Good. Well, you're on Mount Etna right now. The most active volcano. Is Mongibello quiet today or is it erupting? It's, uh, it's uh, I'm going to say that it's uh, not as noisy as usual. Yesterday night, actually, I was walking around Randazzo, which is a beautiful medieval town, not so far from uh, where I live here at the winery, and uh, it was cranky and noisy. It sounded a little bit like fireworks during the night, but this morning is very, very quiet. This is a quiet year compared to like 21 or 20, where we had like, I don't know, 70 plus eruptions. This is a quiet year for all of us, I would say. I was on Mount Etna actually in 2021 during those eruptions, and it was quite incredible. We were actually in Taormina after we came off Etna, and Etna was erupting, and we were getting the rain of the black grit even in Taormina, which is quite a distance away. I think there was an inch or two on the ground, so it was a very active year that year. But it also, I think, you know, for anybody that visits Mount Etna, it really shows the unique challenge of growing grapes on a volcano and making wine under these conditions because it's a constant something that's always can happen at any moment isn't it absolutely and then you know what i have the opportunity and it's a gift actually to make wines all around the three different slopes of mount etna because you have to imagine that the doc appellation nowadays goes around the volcano like a horseshoe so it's going north east and southwest like almost a half moon shape and uh, depending on the wind you can get ash rain more or less everywhere so usually the most dramatic area is the east because it's the milo area which is a beautiful place to make wine because you are hidden below the saturnist crater but you are also facing the ionic sea so it's a land full of contrast and beauty where the wines are influenced both by the sea and the volcanic conditions and the volcanic soils but it's actually so close to the volcano then then we have an, an, a major eruption everything it's completely covered so talking about like memories probably my biggest loss was on the east 
in 2020 and 21. You know, when you have a major eruption, it's not just ash. You can have like small stones and lapilli flying in the air and they are like, you know, they can damage cars and windows and of course, bunches of grapes. So I'm going to say that probably my worst memories are on the eastern side, even though I witnessed major ash rains, even on the north. It's very annoying at the winery because we have to clean everything, you know. I can imagine. I can imagine. Besides vineyards, the whole, you know, the whole structure was a few times completely covered by ash. So, I mean, it's, it's, um, we wouldn't be here without the volcano. So it's part of the job. Well, that is very interesting because as you say, it is a fact of life on, on Etna, but yet Etna is one of Italy's most ancient wine lands. In Homer's Odyssey, the Cyclops Polyphemus speaks about his vines growing on the slopes of Etna. And it's quite probable that grapes have been grown on these volcanic slopes for maybe 3,000 years. Yet the story of modern Etna wines is much more recent. The renaissance of wines made from grapes grown on the volcano and Tenuta di Fessina is part of that story. So tell us about the Tenuta di Fessina project. First of all, it's very interesting what you said before, because you have to imagine that the Renaissance of Mount Etna, it's literally on its probably first or second generation. Everything started around 2002, 2003, and we were born in 2007. But besides that, the story of making wines in Sicily and specifically on Mount Etna, it's incredibly old. You have to imagine that the real technologically skilled winemaking started around the 6th century before Christ. When Greeks came to the island for the first time, they introduced pruning, uh, like, you know, I'm not going to say modern, but the advanced way of making wine with bush wines and that kind of agronomical system and managing and uh, it's from the Greeks and they also created the first winemaking area which is called Palmento today and it has been introduced by Greeks as well and it's a beautiful press fermenting uh, area all made and carved in lava stone it's fantastic but even before Greeks probably we have fossils dating back to the fourth or fifth century before Christ. So it's one of the most ancient areas all around Europe, besides Lebanon, you know, the cradle of Vitis vinifera, which is modern Middle East. And it's very important to talk about this kind of connection because the project of Tenuta di Fessina was born back in 2007 from a Tuscan winemaker, Silvia Maestrelli. I joined the company in 2014 before as winery manager and today as an associate and CEO, but she started in 2007. And uh, I'm going to say that probably the beginning of this company was a nightmare because Silvia by herself with his husband, Roberto, bought the estate, which at the time was five hectares. Today it's in between renting and, and properties around 16 hectares, but uh, she bought five hectares from 14 different owners and they were all Sicilian, all relatives and all together. So as you can imagine, the deal was unbelievable. Really funny days at the lawyer office. It was, it was horrible. Would that have been then very, very small growers that were continuing to make wine in their palmentos themselves or on a small scale? Absolutely. The estate itself, it's a beautiful palmento from the 17th century, mainly made in lava stone and basalt and concrete. And the winery was actually born in the 17th century. 
in order to gather on all those different small, tiny producers and farmers and make mainly bulk wine. You have to imagine that at the time, probably the expansion of Etna was Etna vines was immense compared to what Etna is today. We have books like I can suggest you actually a beautiful book by Domenico Sestini. He wrote it in 1760. It's called Memories about Sicilian Wines or Memorias Vini Siciliani in Italian. And the, the extension of vines was almost toward Catania. So you have to imagine that probably the dimension was 100,000 hectares compared to the 1,000 hectares of nowadays. So the whole economy was making bulk wine. Wow. And that's why, actually, you have been on the volcano, so you saw the railroads of the Circo Metnea, which is uh, still today, but they built it up in 1894, was a small, small train that was circ- still circumnavigating the volcano, and it's passing through all the ancient wineries, And in fact, it's literally in front of the estate still today because the train was built up in order to being filled with wine barrels and it was circumnavigating the volcano and going down to the coast to Riposto Herbur just in order to, you know, commercialize the barrels. And people will never admit it, probably in Bordeaux or in Barolo or I don't know, you know, in in the excellence areas. But probably there is some Nerello Mascalese mixed up in all vintages of all those wines. But not just Nerello Mascalese, wines from the south side of Italy, because the south side of Italy was like a lung, you know, a sort of a core for bulk wine production at that time. But bottled wine is recent, even here, as I was saying before, 2002, 2003. It's the first moment where we can start to talk about high quality and fine wines among them. Now, those small growers that sold the vineyards to Fasina, presumably the vines themselves were very ancient, which is another reason why the wines being made on Etna can be such high quality. Absolutely. So you have to imagine that uh, we almost lost or spent, I don't know how to say it, but seven years in order to date back and track back all the different DNAs and ages of our vines here at the estate. They gave us, when we made the deal, just a single document, and it was dating back 1932, Nerello Mascalese. But even walking into the vineyard, it was very clear since the beginning that the vineyard was not all from 1932, and of course was not all Nerello Mascalese, because they just planted and grafted and propagated vines for years and years without any document or registration. So we spent many, many years with many collaborators, including the agronomical office of Mount Etna, Mr. Andrea Marletta, I have Rocco Trefiletti, several people helped us all professionals, just in order to date back this vineyard, which is a gift. It's like a museum for us. You have to imagine that we have vines in between. Of course, I do replant and graft every year new vines, but talking about the original vineyard, we have vines from, let's say, 60 to 130, 140 years old. I try to do not make samples for ages, for dating back the age, because you have to imagine that it's very invasive. You have to take samples out of the roots. I don't really want to disturb the environment or the vines, but we do have really, really old vines and at least uh, three, four percent of the vines at the estate, which which is all bush wines and all manual labor. You have to imagine that because of the, the composition of the vineyard, which is very narrow and very dense, 
We have like 9,000 bush wines per hectare, which is quite crazy. We do have a thousand and a hundred hours of manual labor per hectare per year, and we have 17 hectares right now. So average more than 17,000 hours of manual activity per hectare per year. All the managements are made by hand. I don't have any machinery in the vineyard. And I was saying that two or three percent is prefiloxera here at the estate because Mount Etna is one of the few places in Europe that completely avoided phylloxera disease. And this is mainly because of altitude and soil composition. The pest is not really able to survive in this kind of environment. Actually, all the places that avoided phylloxera are not so far from active volcanoes, active or extincted volcanoes. Italian Wine Podcast. If you think you love wine as much as we do, then give us a like and a follow anywhere you get your pods. That's incredible. Now, Jacopo, you described as well how Fessina has vineyards on the north, on the east, and on the southwest. And so I want our listeners to imagine this broad volcano and the different faces of it. Now, those different slopes, those different contrade, produce or are better for certain types of wine than the others. Can you explain, for example, what are the wines that come from each of these areas? So the Contrada concept, it's something really ancient, which has been created by farmers, but today is a major thing here on Mount Etna. A Contrada, it's usually a specific area, and historically it was enclosed in between dry lava rock walls with a specific vineyard on it that it's special because of the altitude, the soil, the human heritage, the location and the soil composition and many, many things. So when you read Contrada on a label, it's more or less reading Clos on a French wine, more or less, very similar concept. So it's a single vineyard. Mount Etna, it's hyper hyper-fragmentated in soil composition and expressions, you know, probably the biggest challenge for all of us as a producer, the biggest challenge for me is to deal and understand with the soil composition, even before thinking about winemaking. I collaborated again with a friend of mine, which is also a geologist, Paolo Pennisi, for many, many different things, but uh, I actually discovered how to produce different wines just recently around 2016 or 17 or actually no i was already aware but i just understood better the idea of making different wines in the same place because he really cleared up to me how was the soil composition here at the estate and just imagine if in a single estate which is nine hectares you have two or three different soils just imagine how many different soils and variations of texture and lava flows and eruptions we do have around the whole volcano so I have the chance to producing wines east, north, and southwest. And you have to think that the east, again, it's the only place, first of all, the comune, the municipality of Milo, where you can produce Etna Bianco Superiore, which must be at least 80% of Carricante grapes, which is the indigenous and most important, it's like the first row lector white grape variety here on the volcano. The east is incredible because you are hidden below the southern east crater which is foggy and cloudy and misty and it's erupting and it's mystic somehow and in front of you you are like walking into this beautiful vineyard at like 900 meters of altitude and just in front of you you have the ionic sea which is infinite and immense so it's a land full of contrast and beauty but at the same time it's very rigid 
climatically talking and then cold and super rainy because it's the rainiest place all around Sicily, not just all around Mount Etna. And it's because of this contrast, you know, you have hot winds from Africa, like Scirocco, raising up from the southwest and the cold conditions of the volcano. And we have this crushing moment and suddenly we have rainfalls and hailstorms and frosts and, and so on and so on. So making wine in Milo, to me, it's unbelievable. It's beautiful. At the same time, I have the gift of making Carricante again on the southwest probably the most important and iconic wine of the estate. It's called Apuddara. It's produced on the southwest, which is, again, unique place because you are facing the inner part of the island, the Piana di Enna. So we are not facing the sea anymore, much more protection and, you know, mild climatic conditions. But we are raising up in altitude to at least a thousand meters, which is the end of the DOC appellation, the border it's over there. So we are growing up in verticality and, and freshness and sharpness, also in texture and body, because you have to imagine that the Bianca Villa, Santa Maria di Licodia area, which are the last two municipalities of the DOC appellation, are actually laying on the most ancient soils of Mount Etna. You have to know that the Mungibello, the new Mount Etna, it's 600,000 years old, but the soil of Biancavilla and Santa Maria di Licodia goes back to Cretaceous or Premiocene era. So we are dating back to millions of years and the soil is a little bit mixed up. There is not just volcanic sand and basalt and iron oxide and silica and so on. So volcanic elements, you have also a little bit of limestone and clay. So the white wines are always a little bit more textury and with more muscles and body and richness and brightness. And third of all, you also have to think about the sun exposure because the east, it's again in Milo, you are hidden below the crater and it's pure east where the sun rises up. So at 4 or 5 p.m., it's completely in shadow. But the southwest, it's on the other side. So the sun goes there at least until 8 or 9 p.m., so much more ripening to the white wine. So that's incredible if you think that you are making the same grapes in the same area, in the same appellation, but in two areas which are maybe... 40 minutes away, one from the other one, but they are able to produce wines which are completely different. And the last one, it's the north, which is the homeland for Nerello Mascalese. We don't really grow so much Nerello Mascalese on the east, actually almost none, because it doesn't get ripe. It's too cold and too rain. A little bit on the southwest, but they are always more like richer and riper. The north, it, it's a crossway because you are in between the northern crater which is, you know, you have the volcano just behind you and it's, again, cold and rigid. But on the other side, you have like the Nebrodi Natural Park, which is a huge mountainous area. It's like the backbone of the Italian Apennine and uh, it's huge and high. And it, so you have two huge mountainous areas, one left and right. And, and this area, it's like a, a tiny scar that goes from Lingua Glossa to Randazzo and it's like the cot d'or, uh, allow me the term for Nerello Mascalese. It's fantastic and it's unique because, and here the soils are hyper-fragmentated and here we have the highest concentration of Contrade. So you can taste really, really many, many shades and expression of Nerello Mascalese here on the north. But fascinating Contrada Moscamento, for instance, which is a cold and rigid and sandy 
area enclosed around the 1911 lava flow, so the, the very sandy and, and light soils because of the lava flow that surrounds the estate. So you have to imagine that the rainfalls brought down to the century sand to the estate, which accumulated and accumulated. So I have a cold, rigid nest around the estate and the style of our wines is very elegant, fresh and ethereal. And if you move five kilometers away, it could be the opposite. Absolutely fascinating, Jacopo. You've given a great overview for our listeners. And also, I think it's really important to emphasize that Etna is a source of certainly some of Italy and the world's greatest red wines. I think people don't know Etna Bianco so well. There's less of it for a start, but you've really described well the importance of exposure, the soil, altitude as well, to have these wines from Caricante, wonderful, wonderful grape that have that piercing acidity that allows it to age incredibly well. The whites of Etna, I think, are so wonderful because they have that capacity to age and evolve. Absolutely. Let me give you a quote, but I do believe nowadays, after 16 years of making wines here at the estate, that probably Carricante is able to age better than Nerello Mascalese. Of course, this is very personal and related to my experience, but uh, my oldest bottles of Carricante, both Apuddare and Musmeci Bianco, are... Uh, in a fantastic, I mean, I don't have any problem of opening an old vintage starting from 2009, which is the first release of Carricante in front of anyone, because I think that our wines since the beginning are still outstanding nowadays, still in a good shape. I'm not talking about any fault like oxidation or these or that. The wines are standing beautifully and in a proper shape even today. On the other end, with Nerello Mascalese, I think that we are still learning here at the estate because in the beginning, it's also a matter of, of, you know, experience and studying about things. And I'm 33 years old, so I'm very, very young. And uh, at my age, talking about wine with, you know, it's very risky. I think that you need at least 10 or 12 generations in order to talk about wine. You need like a license, in my opinion, to talk about certain things in the wine world, because at my age, you should stay as humble as possible. At my age, making wine is making mistakes and trying to solve it the year after and learning and learning and learning. So it's very risky to to talk about certain things with sincerity. But at the same time, I think that uh, the way of making Nerello in the beginning here was different compared to the way that we are making Nerello nowadays. I think that Nerello doesn't really need a long extraction and uh, a long fermentation as well. We are trying with Benedetto Alessandro, which is the enologist here at the estate, to extract less and give to the wines more freshness and sharpness and elegance and uh, in the beginning. It's also influenced by the wine world. You know, when I was studying, I did my studies uh, about wine in Piemonte, uh, the University of Gastronomic Sciences in Pollenzo. And at the time, wine was more, uh, I'm trying to find out a polite way in order to say it, but the way of making wine was different, was more extractive and bulk because we were all influenced by certain critics and certain awards and rates and all the most famous wines of the world at the time that were awarded were wines uh, bulky and jammy and rich with high alcohol. And I think that nowadays the way of making and also drinking wine, because the most important thing is not our way of making wine. I mean, it is because it's personal, but at the same time, we have to face the winery today makes around, you know, 80,000 bottles. 
per year. So we have to face also the consumers at the end. And I think that nowadays the consumer is completely different to a consumer from 10 years ago. I think that nine consumers out of 10 today, they select a wine on a shelf because they are thinking about pairing that wine with a meal with friends. So wine today, it's more gastronomic and more conviviality object than ever. So I think that the wines shouldn't be any more jammy and, and rich and alcoholic, but the wines must be gastronomic and food friendly. So the way of making Nerello for me today is not extractive anymore. I want to make Nerellos, which are lean and elegant and fresh and sharp and clean. So I'm decreasing the extraction. I'm decreasing the fermentation in time. And I'm controlling more temperature and certain things, even during the harvest, because I want to make a product which is modern for the actual times. I think that's extremely interesting, Jacobo. And I think uh, this discourse about making wines that one can enjoy at the table rather than making wines to win awards or please certain critics is fundamental. Now, I'd like to actually turn then to gastronomy and to gastronomy in the wines of Tenuta di Fessina, in particular the local foods of Catania, of eastern Sicily, that go well with the wines. I understand that you and your family are from the mountains you were describing, the Nebrodi, which is famous for its special black pig and for its salumi produced from the pig. Can you tell us a little bit about this? I can tell you a lot because you have to know that me and my father, we both own together a slow food presidia company that breeds Suino Nero dei Nebrodi, so black porks from Nebrodi. It's called Fattoria San Pio. It's a tiny, tiny company that we founded together back in 2018. And uh, the story, it's crazy. And it's very funny because you have to know that my father retired a few years ago. He was an engineer. He built up at that time. I'm avoiding, I'm Sicilian, so I'm avoiding to say names of real person and real places right now and real companies. But you have to imagine that he was an engineer and uh, at the time he was building up a, a certain building for a certain... They are similar to police, those people. They are a, a, a corp that takes care of the mountain here in Sicily in a specific area. So he was building up, I don't know the word in English actually, but the facility itself for those officials. And he was building the facility and he built it up actually, and it was 2016. And uh, he really wanted to retire at that time. But uh, this client, those officers, they weren't really able to pay him off. So we waited one year and two years and he really wanted to retire. But uh, they were waiting, they were waiting and they weren't really able to pay him. So after a certain point, we received a phone call of the chief of the officers of those people. And uh, he told us, uh, please come up to the mountains because we have a proposal for you. We want to make a deal with you. And we went there. It's a true story, 100%. And he told to my father, uh, Antonio, we cannot really pay you because we are broke. We don't have money. But we can propose you uh, 47 black porks from the Nebrodi as a payment. And uh, I don't know, even today, I don't know how, but we accepted. And today we own more or less 204 black pigs from Nebrodi in, in this small company, which is in Contrada Drago, close to Brolo. That's an amazing story. So tell us about the pork itself. It's a strange story because it's probably an hybridation between a wild boar or a wild pig from the Nebrodi and a Spanish pork. You have to know that uh, in between the many, many, many dominations that we had in the history of Sicily, of course, we have the Aragonese, which is like the modern Catalonia where Barcelona is. And they, they dominated Sicily for many, many years. And uh, 
in the meanwhile, they brought uh, to Sicily the Sanson, which is similar to the modern um, Patanegra pig, which is a black pig as well. So they hybridated and they created, that's a, f- a fact, but it's not uh, 100% uh, proved, but this animal has been created. And of course, it's much more similar to a, a wild boar rather than a European pig. It's black with the fur, you got the fangs. And it's really small compared to an European pig like a Duroc or an English one. The maximum is 150, 160 kilos. And it's a labor animal, which means that it's always moving up. The company, Fattoria San Pio, it's en plein air, which means that we are working uh, in natural environment. We don't have cages. They are living free in between a beautiful citrus forest in Contrada Drago. But I'm going to say that even the fat of this animal, it's, of course, we are talking about pork. So if you are on diet, I don't really suggest to eat any kind of pig. But generally talking, the fat of the black pork of Nebrod is very, very lean because of a uh, natural conversion to insaturated fat which is called tesaurismosis and happens because they eat a lot of acorns in the in the forest Uh, so it's also healthy let me allow the healthy term why we are talking about uh, porchetta or prosciutto but uh, in this case i'm gonna say that it's healthier maybe than other kind of porks Besides that, I'm going to say that the environment where they live is uh, is outstanding because the Nebrodi have three different sets of wild vegetables or veggies or trees and generally talking of a green environment depending on altitude. So we are growing the pigs in the middle one, which is citrus, but also white faggio and cipressi and querce as well, which is a fantastic environment. Jacopo, we're running out of time here. I would love to have another podcast just about the black pigs of the Nebrodi. Perhaps we can arrange that on another time. But I'm just imagining this both fresh, wonderful pork from the black pigs of the Nebrodi, but also the salumi going beautifully with your Musmeci, Etna Rosso, or indeed perhaps with the, the Etna Bianco as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we have several uh, kind of pairings to do. Uh, as you can imagine, I, it's a big sacrifice for me to make wine and breed porks together. Uh, someone has to do it. Yeah, wonderful. Now, in terms of um, visitors who perhaps find themselves on Etna and would like to visit Tenuta di Fessina, would they be able to both sample wines and these wonderful port products? Absolutely, yes. We are open all year long. We have a huge accommodation office, uh, more than 400 guests per month. You can book online on the website www.tenutadifessina.com. There is a booking engine or you can send us an email to the contact page. We are open all year long. We make lunch every day and we are open for events all year long so easy to find us also well fabulous i look forward to visiting on my next trip to etna jacobo you've taken us onto the lava slopes of etna you've described it beautifully and poetically and really i think our listeners uh, myself who've been there you've given facets of the mountain that are new to me and really, we can understand how you're working in such a unique, challenging, but also very exciting environment to make some really, really great wines. So thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been a real, real pleasure meeting you here. Grazie e buona giornata. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.